<clears throat> nobody, 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 nobody. Nobody rage short stories. Hey everyone, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Megan. And you're you, and you're watching Nobody Read Short Stories. So tonight is episode seven of season two, and the story is going to run about 30 minutes. So here is Jeremy Ray and Michelle Murphy reading Ellen Ireland's story, The Witch's Boy and the Weaver's Girl. The Witch's Boy and the Weaver's Girl by Ellen Ireland. Once upon a time, not so long ago, and not so far from here, there was Golden Valley. Nestled within the valley was the village of Onarik. It was a special place, almost perfect, and people came from far and wide to live there. But there was one woman who was miserly with her crops. Even though she grew the biggest, juiciest, most fragrant and flavorful fruits and vegetables in the whole valley, she shared Mario one. It was rumored that because her crops were so perfect and so plentiful, she was a witch. And a witch she was. Her name was Malkane. She used all of her powers to enhance the size and succulence of her crops. Then she used those crops to make potions and tinctures and ointments and bombs, which she sold to other witches in the dark of night. Now, Malkane was old and she couldn't do all her farming and gardening and mixing and blending on her own. She had the help of a young lad, Samuel, who was 16 years of age. Samuel had lived with the witch since he was a small boy. That was when she stole him from his parents. Samuel was just five years old when his mother and father came upon Malkane's cornfield. They didn't know the corn belonged to a witch or how stingy she was. Seeing it unattended and being very hungry, they plucked three ears of sweet corn. In return, they left three carved wooden goblets, for Samuel's father was a woodcarver. The witch appeared in a dust storm and destroyed the three wooden goblets. She demanded that they give her something as precious as her corn in payment. Samuel's parents had no gold, but they offered their wagon and all its contents, everything they owned in the world. But Malkane grabbed little Samuel's chubby hand and said, I'll take the boy. He'll work for me and tend and protect my crops from the likes of you. Of course, Samuel's parents were grief stricken and distraught and they clung to the boy refusing to let him go. Samuel's father drew a weapon ready to fight hand to hand against Malkane. Samuel's mother picked him up and ran as fast as she could. But the witch was a powerful spellcaster, and when she waved her arms, Samuel's father became a large oak tree with thick roots sunk deep into the ground. The hand that had brandished a weapon became a branch bearing acorns. Then she waved her arms again, and Samuel's mother became a willow tree, and her protective arms became long trailing branches that touched the ground. Samuel tried to hide in the branches, but soon enough, the witch found him and she took him away. The people of Onarik had no knowledge of these horrible events. They didn't know that the witch beat and starved Samuel if he ever made a mistake in his duties. They only knew that he was Samuel, the witch's boy, 
When he came into town to do the witches' trading, they just walked past him with their eyes cast down. They were afraid of him. Week after week, he walked the lonely path from Malkane's secluded house to the town. Day after day, he trod the abandoned trail to her fields to count and guard the crops. Each day, he wrote down the exact number of fruits on the trees and vegetables on the vines. He did her bidding without a complaint, but he was dreadfully unhappy. As each year passed, he still yearned for his parents and wished one day to be free. One day, when Samuel had not yet returned from town, a young girl from a neighboring village found herself on the empty road near the witch's fields. This was Avoca, and she was the daughter of the best weaver in her village. She knew how to spin the softest and warmest floss for weaving from the fleece of her flock of pure white goats. She had a special touch for dreaming out colors. She was able to create never before seen shades and hues by using special dyes that she had made from flowers and leaves, stems and barks, seeds and fruits. Avoca walked alongside a small cart filled with fluffy skeins of beautifully dyed fleece and her handmade loom. She was on her way to trade her wares in Onarik. Her favorite goat, Tristan, pulled the cart. All at once, both Avoca and Tristan lifted their noses to the air. A delicious fragrance floated to them from the nearby field. It was spicy and sweet, dense and delicate at the same time. Avoca led Tristan to the edge of the field to see what was growing there. The field turned out to be an orchard with rows and rows of short trees covered with deep green leaves. Peeking out from the sturdy leaves were the ruby red fruit of the plumpest and most dazzling colored pomegranates Avoca had ever seen. Their colors ranged from the deep red of a burning ember to the bright vermilion of the setting sun. The fragrance from the pomegranates and their star-shaped flowers was mouth-watering. The colors made Avoca's fingers twitch. She had to have some pomegranates to use in her dye work. She looked up and down the deserted road and for a moment was very tempted to steal a pomegranate or two and run away. But she'd been brought up better than that. At last, her gaze fell upon the contents of her wooden cart. Her face broke into a large smile. Of course, she cried. I'll make a trade. The people of this village are well-known barterers. I'll just leave two of my best skeins in return for two of the pomegranates. She plucked two skeins from the cart, then hiked up her skirts and stepped ever so carefully into the orchard. It took her a while to select the pomegranates with the best color. When she finally decided, she left two fluffy skeins of wool, one a deep purplish blue, the other a peachy pink at the base of one of the trees. It was some of her best work. She placed the pomegranates into her cart and led Tristan along the road towards the village. Soon they came to a fork in the road and there was Samuel, resting under an old willow tree as he did every day, eating his meager lunch of a fig and a lump of cheese. Is this the road to the village? asked Avoca. Samuel's mouth was full, but even if he could talk, he knew he'd have no words. Avoca was not only the prettiest girl he'd ever seen, she was the only person besides the witch who had ever spoken a word to him. He managed to nod, swallowing his food hastily. I'm Avoca. This is Tristan. I've come to trade my skeins. She offered, trying for some conversation. Samuel looked at the cart piled high with a rainbow of floss. 
He wiped his hands on the seat of his britches and reached out to touch the wool. <laughs> then he stopped himself. I'm Samuel, may I? He asked. Of course. She replied, offering him a bundle of ruddy ochre colored yarn. Try this. When he took the skein from her hands, their fingers brushed against each other. Their eyes met. It's the most beautiful stuff in the world. Samuel breathed, but he wasn't looking at the skeins when he said it. I was thinking the most wonderful thoughts while I made it. She replied, but she wasn't looking at the wool either. They gazed deeply into each other's eyes. Suddenly, Tristan bleated. Well, I'd better get back to work, said Samuel, turning to walk briskly toward the witch's field. And I to the village. Avoca clucked at Tristan to move him along. After their first meeting, Avoca made it a point to ask about Samuel in the village. She learned that he was the witch's boy. But instead of being frightened by that, she was intrigued. The next time Samuel came into town, he saw that Avoca had set up a stall with her beautiful skeins on display. She was weaving some wool that was the most unusual color of deep red and a bright vermilion that shimmered yellow with the sun when the sun caught it right. She looked up from her work to see Samuel standing before her. Hello, Samuel. She smiled. Hello, Avoca, said Samuel, admiring the fleece in her loom. That is a wonderful color. You like this? Well, meet me in three days under the willow at the fork in the road, and you shall have a surprise. Samuel grinned at her. She grinned back. He walked through town doing Malkane's work with a spring in his step and a tune in his lips. He didn't notice that no one else spoke to him. He didn't notice that everyone was staring at Avoca. He was quite simply the happiest he'd ever been in his entire life. That evening, Samuel had to report the number of pomegranates that were growing on the trees in the orchard. The night before, it had been an accounting of ears of corn on the stalks, and the next night would be an accounting of beans on the vines. Well, prodded Malkane. How many pomegranates? Samuel pulled a small leather-bound book of parchment from his pocket and turned to the pomegranate page. On it was written the number 534. He tore off the page and handed it to the witch. She turned to her bookshelf and pointed at an old, thick ledger. The book fluttered down to her work table and flapped its pages until it rested open on the one entitled Pomegranates. She compared the number on the paper that Samuel handed her with the last number written in the ledger. The last number written in the ledger was 536. What? Malkane bellowed so loud and furiously that the windows rattled in their casements. Two pomegranates less? What has happened, boy? Samuel faced her bravely. I don't know. The witch shrieked at him. Tomorrow you must go into the village and find out who stole my pomegranates. Or it will be the worse for you. Now get out of my sight. That night, as Samuel lay in bed, he worried about how he would ever discover who stole the missing pomegranates. When he finally dropped off to sleep, he dreamed of a world that had a sky that was deep red and bright vermilion that shimmered with yellow. In three days' time, Samuel had not found the pomegranate thief. For three days in a row, Malkane had beaten and starved him. 
But although he was bruised and hungry, it was a joyful Samuel who waited for Avoca at the fork in the road. His heart leapt when he saw her approach, riding in the small cart pulled by Tristan. When she spied him waiting on the rock, Avoca's heart leapt as well. They had fallen in love. Avoca jumped from the cart and quickly hid something behind her back. Samuel stood and came toward her. He bent to give Tristan a scratch on his chin. The goat nibbled Samuel's sleeve. That's when Ovoka looked into Samuel's eyes and her happiness faded. A bruise was fading on his cheek and his face looked drawn. He noticed her concern and smiled at her gently. What's happened to you? She asked softly. Oh, the witch is angry with me, but where's my surprise? He asked, changing the subject. Avoka still looked worried. I'm sure this is the last thing you need, but here, I made it just for you. She held out a beautifully woven scarf of the deep red hue he had admired in the village. It was the hue that he had dreamed about. He reached out and took the scarf, wrapping it snugly around his neck. It was so soft. It was as if a cloud had nestled against his skin. Avoka, this is the only thing I shall ever need. Avoka now smiled in delight. Truly? Samuel pretended to think a moment. That is, other than this, may I? You may. And very gently, he bent and kissed her, and she kissed him back. Holding her by the hands, he asked, How did you ever make such a color? Gazing joyfully into his eyes, she replied, Pomegranates. Samuel dropped Avoka's hands, stunned. She gasped, frightened. Whatever is wrong, my Samuel? Where did you get the pomegranates, my Avoka? From the untended orchard along the road. I left two of my best skeins of wool in trade. Why? Samuel began to run towards the fields. He called back to her as he ran. Those were the witch's pomegranates. He turned the corner and was out of sight before Avoka knew what to do. But she thought quickly and jumped back into the cart and snapped the reins at Tristan. They trotted briskly after Samuel and found him among the pomegranate trees on his hands and knees. They aren't here, he fumed. What's not here? She asked very concerned. The skeins, they're gone. At that moment, a crow flew by with a strand of purplish-blue yarn. Avoka gasped. <gasps> that crow... He has some floss from the skeins I left in trade. Samuel sat down on the ground, full of despair. Avoka sat down next to him. Is this why she's been beating you? He nodded bravely. Can't we just explain to the witch? I can give her all of my skeins. He shook his head. I would never want her to know it was you. You must leave Onorique. Tears spilled onto Avoka's cheeks. I can't do that, Samuel. Please don't ask me that. You must. Malkane is cruel. She'll do something terrible to you. She needs me, but she'd hurt you. He stood up and offered his hand to her. Avoka was trembling. You need to leave. Never come back. Avoka cried and clung to him, but Samuel was insistent. He led her to the little cart and helped her in. He kissed her gently. I'll always love you, Avoka. I'll treasure this forever.
he said, touching the scarf. He tapped Tristan smartly and the goat pulled the cart away from the orchard. Havoka turned to look back. She was heartbroken. Samuel smiled at her bravely. Then he returned to the witch. I have something to confess, said Samuel, his voice like stone. Malkane was busy coaxing a family of newts into a jar. She cast a spell on the newts, which rendered them motionless, then looked up at Samuel with a mixture of spite and curiosity. He'd never voluntarily spoken to her before. Really? And what, pray tell, is that? I took the pomegranates. I was hungry. The witch shook with fury, and the little house shook along with her, as if every stick of furniture, every cauldron, broom, and bottle was just as furious as she was. She pointed a gnarled and bony finger at him. Well, my fine young gentleman, I shall fix it so you'll never be hungry again. And I shall make it easy for you to never lose count of my crops again. A cloud of dust and hay appeared like a tornado inside the witch's house. It swirled around Samuel until he disappeared. Then it burst out the door and spun towards the fields. The witch crackled with malicious glee and scuttled behind the tornado, watching with evil pride as it swirled into a ditch that separated the pomegranate orchard from the cornfield. All of a sudden, the tornado poofed out of existence, leaving only a few dust motes and hay straws to float down to the ground. And where the tornado had stopped, hanging from a thick wooden post, was a tall scarecrow. A scarecrow that was wearing a soft fleece, scarf woven in colors of deep red vermilion and a shimmering yellow. Havoka was sobbing as she packed up her stall, her skeins and her dyes. She looked at the crimson, orange and shimmering yellow yarn that remained on her loom and touched it softly. Then with a determined look in her eyes, she turned to Tristan. I can't leave him to face Malkane for something I did. I'm going back to tell her the truth. Tristan bleated and butted her, but she remained firm. With all her possessions loaded into the little cart, she left the village and walked the path to the witch's house. When Avoca passed the pomegranate trees, her eyes fell on the new scarecrow propped in between the fields. At first, she felt relieved. See there, Tristan. All she did was have him make a scarecrow. Then the wind picked up and it fluttered her skirts and her hair. It also fluttered the scarecrow's scarf. Avoca saw the colors and knew the truth. She jumped from the cart and ran deep into the fields, calling his name over and over. Samuel! 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 When she reached the scarecrow, she saw that it was indeed a burlap and calico version of her beloved Samuel, wearing the scarf she'd made. The scarecrow was perched up high on a wooden pole. It was so high that she could only touch his worn leather shoes. This is all because of me, she whispered, looking up into his face. The scarecrow that was Samuel shook his head, but he couldn't talk because his mouth was sewn shut with cross-stitch. He reached for her, but he could not remove his arm from the wooden pole. Avoka turned and gazed down the path. With a last look over her shoulder at Samuel, 
She marched out of the trees and headed toward the witch's house. Tristan followed her bravely, but Avoca stopped and kneeled in front of him. She held his, beard face, his bearded face in her hands. No, Tristan, you must return home to the farm of my father. I must try to save Samuel, but I don't want any harm to come to you. Tristan bleated and tossed his horns, but Avoca unbuckled him from the cart and pushed him in the direction away from Onarique. After a moment, he trotted obediently away. Avoca watched until he was just a white speck at the horizon, and then he was gone. She then walked bravely toward Malkane's house. The door in the windows of the witch's house looked like two eyes and a mouth shut tight, and it took all of Avoca's courage to knock on the door. What have you done to Samuel? She called, her voice quivering just a little, but there was no answer. She grew braver. I'm here for Samuel! Avoca called again and again. At last, the door and the windows flew open, and the witch appeared in the doorway, eyes blazing. Who calls for that wretched boy? It is I, Avoca, the weaver's girl. What have you done to my Samuel? The witch rubbed her hands together, enjoying Avoca's foolish bravery. She stepped out of the house and circled around the girl as she spoke. Your Samuel? What makes him yours, Samuel, my fine beauty? He is my beloved, and I am his. Malkane laughed so hard at this that she rose off of the ground and perched arrogantly on the roof of her house. <laughs> is that so? I wonder why he never mentioned you. He protected me. And whatever would you need protection from, child? From you, because it was I who took your pomegranates. The witch's eyes blazed with fury and wickedness. So your beloved lied for you, is that it? Well, that must have been some very special love. Avoca trembled, but her words were strong. It was, and I love him still. can you love him? He is a living scarecrow and will remain so forever, guarding my crops against thieves like you. I don't care that he's a scarecrow. I will stay here and call his name day and night until you return him to me, cried Avoca. Samuel! 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 The witch clapped her hands over her ears. Quit your crying, you foolish thing. I'll fix you so even as a scarecrow, he'll despise you. Our love will survive against any black magic you can conjure, shouted Avoca. Malkane giggled darkly. If that ever happened, it would mean my magic is dead. And if my magic is dead, I would be dead. And as you can see, I'm very much alive. With that, the witch waved her hands and pointed her bony finger at Avoca. A swirl of black dirt rose up from the ground and shrouded Avoca until she could no longer be seen. The girl, the girl called out, Samuel! 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 Until her voice grew hoarse. When the swirl of black dirt fell to the ground, 
There was nothing left of the lovely Avoca. There was only a black crow. The crow opened its beak and cawed. The witch laughed heartily and taunted Avoca. <laughs> now see how your love will last with you as a crow and your Samuel a scarecrow. Avoca, now a crow, took wing and flew to the fields with the witch's laughter echoing after her. Avoca landed on Samuel's arm and began to pluck at the cross stitch that held his mouth closed. Although Sam was grateful for this kindness, he didn't know that the crow was Avoca. It began to rain and Avoca flew to a nearby oak, her heart heavy. As she watched her beloved standing guard in the field, she wondered how she would ever get Samuel to know her again. It was several days before the rain subsided. Avoca never budged from her vigil in the oak tree. When the sun returned, Avoca flew back to perch on Samuel's shoulder. He was drenched and could barely move. She gazed deeply into his eyes, hoping he would recognize her. Thank you for helping me, Crow, he breathed, stretching his mouth wide. You're very kind. You can stay in the fields as long as you want. She cawed, trying her best to make it sound like Samuel. But all that came out was... Avoca noticed that in the storm, the scarf that she had made for Samuel had fallen into the pomegranate patch. She fluttered down to retrieve it and shook it dry. She placed it gently around his neck, nibbling his painted cheek in a crow's kiss. Again, I thank you. That is the only thing I shall ever need. Avoca tried to call his name but it was useless. He couldn't understand her. Deeply saddened, she flew off to collect what she needed to build a nest in the shelter of the oak. Soon she came across her abandoned cart full of skeins of wool. She would use that for her nest. Every day Avoca visited Samuel. Every day with the help of the other crows, she pulled at the threads that held him to the wooden post. She made friends with the animals that lived near the field. Woodpeckers loosened the nails that held Samuel on the pole. Squirrels with clever little hands pulled the nails out of the wood. After much work, Samuel was released from the wooden pole that imprisoned him. He fell roughly to the ground, but although he was unharmed, the scarf Avoca had weaved caught on a splinter of wood and ripped. Samuel held the scarf in his straw hands. If a scarecrow could weep, he would have done so. Thank you, my friends, for freeing me. Now I must find Avoca and see if she can still love me. Avoca, the crow, flew and flapped and cawed, circling Samuel. But he shooed her away and stumbled toward the road. In desperation, Avoca took the torn scarf in her beak and flew away to the safety of her nest in the oak tree. Samuel ran after her. He stood at the base of the oak tree, angry. Return that to me, crow! Up in her nest, Avoca ignored Samuel's crows. She quickly pulled thread after thread from her beautiful nest and with her sharp beak and clever claws, repaired the rip in Samuel's scarf. Then she fluttered down and offered it to him. Samuel touched the scarf in amazement. How do you know how to weave? He asked in wonder. Avoca fluttered and landed on his shoulder. She uttered a soft caw. And at last he understood. Avoca? 
She nuzzled her sleek black head against his burlap cheek. Samuel stroked her glossy feathers. Even though I am a scarecrow and you are a crow, I love you and I always will. She cawed the only response she could. Samuel. Suddenly, the ground beneath Samuel's feet began to rumble. A great crackling roar split the air. The flock of crows took to the air and the animals ran to their dens and burrows to hide. Samuel looked across the fields and orchard toward the sound. It was coming from the witch's house. Samuel ran toward Malkane's house and Avoca flew behind him, but they stopped when the house suddenly exploded into a huge funnel of dust, black dirt and twigs. Within moments, there was nothing left of the witch, Malkane, or her house. The dust funnel moved with amazing speed over the road toward Samuel and Avoca. It enveloped them until they could no longer see each other. Avoca cawed and Samuel called her name. When the funnel moved on, Samuel and Avoca were once again their human selves. They embraced each other in happiness. Their love had lasted, despite the witch's spell, and that rendered Malkane's magic dead. And with her magic dead, Malkane herself was dead. The funnel of dust continued its path, this time surrounding the oak tree in which Avoca had made her nest. When the funnel spun away, the oak tree was gone, and its place was a man. It was Samuel's father, whom the witch had enchanted so long ago. Samuel, Avoca, and Samuel's father followed the dust funnel to the fork in the road. There stood the old willow tree where Samuel often rested. The funnel swirled around the tree, hiding it from view. When the funnel finally stopped spinning, Samuel's mother appeared. It was a joyful reunion for the family, but no joy could compare to that of Samuel, the witch's boy, and Avoca, the weaver's girl. They were now free to love and be together for the rest of their lives. Yay! Congratulations, Michelle and Jeremy. That was a fantastic reading. Oh my goodness. Michelle. Oh, there you go. High five, guys. Um, Michelle, thank you so much for your for your lovely work. If any of you uh, listening are interested in learning about Michelle, you know, she was on mm. um, the, uh, the podcast earlier uh, in season oh. one. You can find her at the Michelle Murphy on Instagram. Yes. So check her out and all of her, all of the wonderful things that she's up to. And you'll more than likely probably see Michelle uh, further down the road. You so, sure Michelle, will. You're coming you. back, girl. <laughs> Love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. She was such a good witch. She was such a good witch oh. and did such a wonderful reading of switching between the voices. I really like that. Oh my so goodness. It, like while reading the script, I was like, is Michelle really doing both voices or did she just like kidnap someone and have one of she them doing nailed the voice it. Like, the Yeah. Was just so good. It okay. was really good. So before we start talking our heads off, I'm going to like actually start cranking. Like we already are. Like crank, we already cranky. are. Um, so here we go, Crank and Cranky. So three minutes. Okay, he's on. Megan, I had a burp so bad. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I cannot ruin Ellen's story by burping. And like every moment I was like, cannot, no, not, not there either. <laughs> Very quickly, um, 
I noticed when I was reading long stories that I also needed to burp. And I'm burp. like, is this just something that comes out of like reading for a long period of time? Is this like all that gas is coming out? I don't know. I think it's also one of those things you're like, what's the worst thing you could do right now? Right. Burp or cough. Like I think burping is a little more rude than coughing, but I don't know. Anyway, I, let's talk about Ellen's talk story. About story. I love this story. Um, all of her stuff has been so dark and I like dark too, but like, it's so refreshing to have something nice and especially now, like right, right in this very moment. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And and I'm so glad that we were able to to do a fairy tale, uh, especially like this time of year where you kind of yeah. like going into the fall and, and people are thinking about the things that, you know, they they hold dear. And um, I'm just, I think this was the perfect story for this time and particularly this week. And Have you noticed too, um, one of the things I really love about this piece is how Ellen plays with colors. So it's like very, like it's very fall, like even the fall colors and stuff. Yeah, I was really thinking about that a lot this through this reading, just about like not just the colors. Like at first, I was like, oh, the pomegranate, very tactile the too, tactile, yeah, yeah. But also like the way the natural world kind of comes alive in this story because you have, um, you know, have the crows helping and you have mm -hmm. the the corn and you have like I feel like the natural world is very alive and kind of when I think about the 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 surrounding world of this story, I think a lot about what is happening in nature, like the ground and the corn and things like that. When we have Ellen's waiting in the green room, by the way, everyone, but you know that. But when we have her on, I'd I'd love to ask her like if that was like her intention, like to have wildlife around. Um yeah. no, so we should absolutely. ask that as a question. Yeah. yeah. And another another thing that struck me this this time was um like I was thinking about the witch turning the parents into trees. And I was like, I wonder if she intended to turn them into trees because I feel like being turned into trees into a tree is almost a like a safeguard for you. Like, you know, because a witch a witch wants to destroy you or which wants to like, you know, infiltrate you and, and turn you into something bad, like a bad magic. And so I was like, but but his parents were turned into trees, and I always think of trees as like safety. And they, I mean, they are because like think about their roots, how how deep their roots go, you know. Right. So they're like there's there's something that cannot be blown by the witches. <laughs> we got Megan again. It's always bearing the crap out of Megan. Never fails. Like even it if it's right in front of her, it's my favorite part. I'm a wicked person. I'm <laughs> as wicked as the witch. You not not quite so wicked. Not quite so wicked. Um. All right, so let's bring Ellen on. Hello. Hi, Ellen. Hi. So before we get into our wonderful conversation, I just want to tell everybody about all the cool things that you're up to and the, that you've done in, in your career. So um, storytelling has always been a part of Ellen's life, and she followed that love to the Walt Disney Company, where she became a creative executive, rising all the way from intern to senior vice president. So long way and a hard way to travel, I'm sure. And eventually <laughs> heading the creative affairs department at Disney Toon Studios. Her screenplay Sunrise in Memphis was developed with CBS Films and Carol Burnett. And her supernatural teen drama series Middlebrook was developed for ABC Family with Dan Lin Productions and Warner Horizon Television. 
I mean, and I'm going to go on a little bit more. <laughs> if you're not already impressed. Her work was has placed in multiple competitions, including the Nickel Screenplay Competition, Austin Film Festivals, Atlanta Film Festival, 13horror.com, and many, many more. Like, I don't want to take up this whole interview going on about how awesome Ellen is. But when she's not killing it as a screenwriter <laughs> and just a writer in general, she teaches story development at Emerson College. So welcome, Ellen. We're so excited to have you here. And thank you for letting us share your story. Thank you so, so much. It was pure delight to sit and listen to my words come off the page and just the fact that somebody said yes to a fairy tale is kind of a fairy tale, so. You know. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Well, we, we, are, we were so happy to be able to, um, to have it here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about like what inspired you to write a fairy tale? Well, um, I, I've always lived mostly in my imagination. Um, they got uh, not punished, but certainly derided for that growing Listen, up. Listen, we, we feel you. Uh, <laughs> hello. You're, we're going to form a good club. Yeah. Good company. Yeah. <laughs> imagination for grownups. So um, yes! you know, that's, <laughs> that's always, you know, kind of been part of my life. Um, in fact, I boosted my laptop up by a book that is The Spells of Enchantment by Jack Zipes. <laughs> so um, anyway, that, that's just sort of my DNA. Um, but this story in particular um, was really kind of inspired by my love of crows. I kind of just love crows. I don't can't even describe to you why but they're smart, they're so smart, and they have such a great society with each other. Ellen, can we hug? Can we hug right now? Yes. So, <laughs> so listen. So Ellen and Jeremy are like holding hands right now. For our I'm listeners. holding her hand right now. <laughs> oh my God, same. Crows, crows are the most amazing thing. My, my German grandfather, uh, we're gonna go back to talking about you, but my German grandfather, he okay. had crows that he, he had trained that like when he did a certain whistle, they would come and he could feed them cat food. Yep. There is a Facebook group, uh, probably there's more than one on uh, about, you know, people who love crows, <laughs> people who, you know, feed them probably when they shouldn't because their neighbors don't like it so much, but, um, but yeah. I love that you show crows in the positive light, by the way, like, because they would usually be associated with like the, the negative, negative thing of the witch, like the black cat and the crow. So I like that they're actually the, the helper in this. Yeah. Book. Yeah. So, um, I love them. I try to put a crow in everything I write. Um, either they have a big, a big role or a small role, just cameo, but they're in there someplace. I collect their feathers. <laughs> I know this is maybe much more than you want to know. Anyway, I think about them a lot. Um, and so I started thinking about, well, you know, what do crows love? Okay, they love other crows, but the storyteller in me kind of wondered, well, what if a crow loved the wrong thing? Like, what if they didn't fit in with the rest of the crows? And, you know, it kind of, Fun from there, you know, what's the crow's arch enemy? Well, it's, it's probably not a scarecrow. It's more likely a, a hawk or something like that. But um, anyway, very are you, time, are, so. you, are you a pantser? I have a feeling you're a pantser, right? I don't know what that is. So I'm so, not. So there's like two different types of writers. There's the, the outliner, 
who does the outline and then there's the person that is like getting the story told to them while they're writing. And I have a feeling you're the second one where you're like, oh, tell me the story. Well, I'm the second one until I hit a certain point and then I turn into the other one. Oh, she's yeah. got both. She's so, a hybrid. She's a hybrid. <laughs> hybrid. <laughs> so yeah, I, I let it go kind of just see to your pants, I guess, is that's where that comes from. Yeah, yeah. But at a certain point, I, I'm like, um, you know, the executive in me is like, oh, you must you must outline this. Otherwise, you will get lost along the way. So <laughs> I hope you do it with that like flourish too. Like the yeah, that's my little voice. <laughs> I wish I was that uh, nice to myself all the time. <laughs> well, that's um, Jeremy and I have actually talked quite a bit about the process on the show, and we've talked to other writers just about like their relationship with the muse. I mean, do you feel like when you're when you're just kind of letting it go, do you feel like things are kind of getting out of control and you want to, you know, rein it in or are you comfortable with just kind of like exploring whatever you're feeling as you're writing that? I am pretty comfortable letting it go where it wants to go. Um, and I will, you know, I wish I was organized enough to, you know, some writers have like journals and stuff like I have a million started journals, but I'm, I just, I just grab whatever I'm close to and write down my thoughts of the moment. And so I just sort of throw everything in a great big folder. Mm -hmm. And then I guess I just kind of feel like, okay, I've sort of thought through it through enough, beginning, middle, end. And then I start to kind of look at all my little pieces of paper. <laughs> and then I start to kind of construct the structure of it. Um, and I kind of like that system because it gives me a tangible thing. Um, it's like a quilt, right? Like it's a story quilt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you could say that. Um, it gives me something tangible. Like, you know, if I write down crow loves scarecrow and I throw it in a folder, then I'm going to pull that out. And I have this tangible thing that I know that I thought was good at one point and where can it now fit, you know, with all my other little puzzle pieces. So, oh, I love that. I, I love, love the that. idea of you having this like inspiration bucket that you can love, kind of I reach into and pull out ideas. And um, that's that's really cool. That's cool. And um, thank you for sharing that about your process. Sure. <laughs> what was the hardest uh, part of the story to write? Like, did you have any challenges? Well, here was the challenge because I am. I, I'm primarily a screenwriter. Mm. I, I it was hard to let this be a short mm. story. I kept wondering, <laughs> oh, is this an animated something or other? Or do you know? And and finally, I just had to say no. That you're going to be a short story. You stay where you're supposed to be. <laughs> stay where you're supposed to be. Story. Yeah, yeah. So I had to kind of just like release all of that, oh, you know, what is anybody gonna do with this kind of thing and just let it get written. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm really glad I did <laughs> because um, when you guys were talking earlier about, you know, dipping into the colors and how things feel, mm -hmm. um, you can do a little of that in screenwriting, but not much, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, that's that doesn't, 
translate to the screen. You know, it's not dramatizable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is, but it's it's a whole different process. And so, in the short story writing of a short story, you can talk about how things feel and taste and smell and all of that. So mm -hmm. it was really fun. I, I a white related to what you were saying. I've had a conversation with Megan before um, about how. With a screenplay, you have to give the story over to someone else, and then they're the director, and then there's yeah. the performers, costume designers. But what you're saying is you get to be everything. You get to be the actors, you get to be the director, you get to design the world, so it's all yours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that makes it, this makes this piece kind of precious to me because so often we do end up sending our babes out into the, into the wilderness and hope that they- um, Get loved. Get loved. Um, yeah. But yeah, so this one I did have control. Oh, that was mm. good. <laughs> nice to have, have control. <laughs> have you written other short stories or do you think you'll write short stories in the future? I think that I will. I, I've been thinking actually about a novel um, based on one of the screenplays that I wrote. So, um, but are you able to talk about that? Like, like I don't want to pressure you, but I kind of want to know. <laughs> well, um, it was, a, it's a series. Uh, called FKA Fairy, formerly known as Fairy. Um, and it takes place in our real world, but also an imaginary, not an imaginary world because it actually exists, but a, 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 a magical world that is exists parallel to our own. And it focuses on a fairy who wants to get out of that magical world and find true love, um, not, fairy dust love, <laughs> but the real thing in the real world. So she makes That's that cool. transition. And of course, with unintended consequences and one world bleeds into the other and people fall in love with the wrong people. And so um, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Oh, that sounds great. Please write it because I want to read that story. <laughs> <laughs> sounds amazing. I Thank just really you. like the idea of you know, I think when we're when we're sold love and we're taught about what love is, so so much of it is is we were sold. just talking about this, Megan. Right. We were Jeremy and I were just talking about this off the show. Like we're sold this fantasy world, right? Mm -hmm. So I kind of like the idea of someone going from the fantasy world into the real world and and doing it in reverse and trying in kind of figuring out how that would work. So that's really smart. Yeah. So that's your homework. Get on that. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't think you were going to be getting homework, right? Well, I'm just, you know, it's part of the homework that I give myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's nice to have a vote in that little, okay, somebody likes the fairy thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's it fairy tales, like like people, even stuff that isn't fairy tale stories, like it's just everything happens really easily and like magically. So it would be interesting to have someone be like, I want to see how it is in the, the real world, you know? I think that's mm -hmm. an interesting take. Yeah, she does have to give up some of her powers, of course. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, oh, well. The flip side of it, the flip side of it. Yeah, well, we'll definitely keep our eyes peeled for, for that one, so you'll keep us. So anything, um, you know, you just let us know when that's coming out, and we will definitely plug you on the show. Thank you, I appreciate that. So Maureen says, uh, one of her comments from one of our listeners was from Maureen, and she said, love a good fairy tale, very unique, and Michelle's role in reading was great. 
Oh, and she says I was too. I didn't plan that. I just read that on the spot. I wasn't trying to. <laughs> yeah, right, Jeremy. We know you want you want the accolades too. Confession. <laughs> Maureen didn't even write that. It was me. I just set myself up for a compliment. But no, seriously. Yeah, really <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show. My thank pleasure. you for being such a wonderful like interview. Absolutely. If you ever thank have you. another short story, send it our way. I absolutely yes. will. I absolutely will. Yes, please, please do. And um, stay safe out in your desert yes, world well. and you. enjoy the enjoy the fall. And um, hopefully we'll be seeing you soon. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you, Ellen. Well and have a great Thank you, Ellen. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Bye. Lovely. Just lovely. So lovely. Oh, my goodness. We've gotten wonderful. really lucky with our people. Like, I'm really happy with our people. They're just lovely people. I, how yeah. many times can I say that word? I don't know. Why don't you say it? Why don't you just keep saying lovely, no. lovely, lovely over and over again? Oh, I was going on people. <laughs> oh, okay. So okay. this is the part where we have to plug ourselves. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, if you haven't liked or subscribed to us on YouTube, you just need to get on that right now. We are we are so honored and humbled by everybody who subscribed. We started out season two with 67 subscribers. We now have 87 on YouTube. And we're just so excited that people are loving the show and they're showing their support. And as you know, our goal for season two is 100. So if you haven't already subscribed, we're so close. So if you haven't already subscribed to YouTube, please do so. Just like and subscribe. You can get notifications if you ring the little bell on the side. Uh, if you're not into YouTube, that's cool because you can find us on Stitcher and iTunes, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and now on Amazon Music. And you can download any of our podcasts, any of these episodes and take it with you wherever you go. So if you're cooking this week or you're cleaning this week or you need a break from whomever you're spending this week with, like, please uh, don't hesitate to listen to one of our lovely stories. Megan, I got an idea. Okay. Since we gave our author a homework assignment, let's give our listeners a homework assignment too. Oh, okay. So listeners, my homework assignment for you is for you to go to our your favorite podcast platform. That's Spotify. And if you're not familiar with podcasts, it's really easy. You just download the app onto your smartphone or your device. And then you, you just type in Nobody Read Short Stories and we'll pop up and then you subscribe and then you can easily download it and take it wherever you go. So go to Spotify, go to Stitcher, go to Amazon music and download it one story just one story and listen to it and let us know what you think all right mine's a little more sneaky are you uh -huh. ready M megan are you nervous i'm nervous <laughs> <laughs> now i'm even more nervous <laughs> i i the witch has rubbed off on me no so I this is know. this is what you're gonna do listener you're gonna have a conversation with somebody and be like have you listened to an audiobook lately and if they say, I love audiobooks, you'll be like, I know something that you might like for free. Don't do it that way. But like, seriously, like anytime like somebody <laughs> does mention like an audiobook or something, just be like, hey, I know something that you can listen to for free. And that's my homework assignment. Ooh, yeah, we're talking absolutely. a long time, Megan. We are. We're talking. We're talking a long time. We don't have Cranky here to keep us in track. So, oh no, this is gonna get, this is gonna get out of hand. Oh quick, no. Uh, speaking oh. of talking a lot, we're also on social media. Surprise! So we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. 
Yes. And um, you can find us also at nobodyreadshortstories.com. And that is where you can find the magical link to our merchandise, which I know some of you are really jonesing for because it's holiday season and you have to buy presents. And look what I just apparated. Jeremy's holding up the magical NRSS podcasts uh, pillow that is that is magical. Yeah, exactly. You can throw it in pawns and it will give you wishes. Um, like a penny? Yeah. Oh. And okay. it floats, I think. So you can get it back. Uh, it might float for a little while until it's sucked up with water. And Oh, and my then... goodness. We're going to get in trouble. There are going to be pillows floating everywhere. Oh, my gosh. I feel like Mark is going to like tell us that we have to stop talking sometime soon. Okay. <laughs> so let's focus. Um... Focus. So Megan has the website. <laughs> Uh, MeganAMorrison.com. Like anytime she has like news on her writing, you will be informed. Yes. And Jeremy has a website, JeremyRayStories.com. You can also find him on Instagram at JeremyRayStories. And if you go to his website and you sign up for his stories, uh, you will get a micro story in your email box every Tuesday. And they're quick little stories and they're lovely. And speaking of short and taking it with you, like these are there's there's nothing better than this and what's the next episode megan the next i don't know it's a mystery to me it's our mystery episode one hint because we really don't know what it is yet either it is a mystery to us too but <laughs> one hint is that the person will be dead yeah will be a dead author and i'm not ruling out that it won't be Marie Corelli. So you guys better watch out. Don't you threaten our <laughs> audience members. They did not like our last Marie Corelli story. I'm just joking. I, I can definitely tell you it will not be a Marie Corelli They story. are going to take our follows back. They're going to be like. No, they're not. No, they're not. Our listeners love us. They're not going to take our stories back. Well, seriously, our... thank you all for listening. <laughs> thank you all. We'll see you next week. Good night. Bye. No one reads short stories anymore I really don't know what they're written for Go write a short story and throw it out the door Cause no one reads short stories Funny, sad, or gory